Good morning. My name is Pam Komarowski. This scripture passage today comes from the New Testament book of Acts. I will be reading from chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, and 32 and 33. Hear the word of the Lord. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. God raised raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Pam. Well done. Oh, man, I was just thinking about, (laughs) this is like hashtag pastor dreams. Like last night, I literally had a bad night of sleep, like rolling in my sleep because there's like an element of my sermon that I was delivering. And I'm like, I'm not making the connection in my mind. And it was like, oh, I'm not preaching very well. (laughs) So these are the kind of dreams that pastors have. So (laughs) anyway, well, let's see. It was a week ago last Saturday that um, we had sort of a spontaneous family get together because... My aunt, who lives in Connecticut, was out with her husband and her son, and they had flown out from Connecticut to kind of visit us for the Christmas season, and so we kind of had this spontaneous get-together because they were able to fly out. And and my aunt's husband, his name is Brendan Donahue, and he has this really interesting job because Brendan Donahue is the commissioner of the NBA 2K League, all right? So gamers in here, middle and high school gamers, Jason Ziegler, so... Brendan Donahue is the commissioner of this NBA 2K League. And so what this is, is this is actually a brand new gaming league. And they will take the top 200 participants or tryouts of gamers in the entire world who play this NBA 2K video game. And they'll take the, the best 200 people. And then they'll put them into a draft. And then every basketball team, or almost every NBA team is part of it now, they will draft five gamers out of this pool of the top 200. And so you have to be good enough to get in the top 200, and then you have to be good enough to get drafted out of that 200 by the team. So the Bucks, this is the, the five gamers from the Bucks. So the Bucks drafted these guys. Isn't that great? You can just totally tell. They would, these guys would love a video game about basketball, wouldn't they? Right? So they draft these guys, and then this is the Bucks NBA 2K team. And then what they will do is they'll take these guys, and they'll fly them out out to a studio in Queens, New York, which is where my aunt's husband works, and they have this, they'll they'll go head-to-head as a team. So five players will line up on one side, five players will line up on the other side, and they'll all have controllers, whatever controller they prefer, and then they'll play the game, NBA 2K, as sort of an exhibition game as part of the season. And they'll have playoffs, and then they have like a championship and all sorts of stuff. And Ben Cole has like a co-worker whose son or something was good enough to be one of these players. And they get flown out to Queens, and they get put up in hotels and all this stuff. It's a pretty cool gig if you can can, uh, be a part of it. And then they stream it on Twitch, 
and they, or they stream it on YouTube so you can watch the game online and you can watch the gameplay and they have cameras on the gamers. And, and so this is big money. This is like a big deal. And so Brendan Donahue, as we like to say, we were like, guys, I, I think Brendan is a lot bigger deal than we all think, you know, because <laughs> he's just at our family gatherings, but he's the commissioner of this NBA 2K league. And so he's a pretty important person. And I, I was chatting with him over this family gathering. And I just said, you know, Brendan, you, you've been in leadership a long time because he comes over from the NBA. And, and I said, you've been in leadership a long time. And, and I said, you know, what, what, what sort of advice would you give to a guy like me who's sort of brand new in, in a leadership position? And, 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 and Brendan and I started talking. He said, yeah, that's a good question, Bill, because he said, it's kind of like you're the head of the church now. And I stopped him and I said, and I, I said, I said this more for me than anybody, anything else. But I said, well, I said, well, Jesus is the head of the church and I'm just sort of a steward and sort of a, a caretaker, you know. And then we went on with our conversation. He meant no harm by it, but I had to stop right there and, like, correct the record and say, no, Jesus is the head of the church. I'm just sort of a steward. And so I, I tell you this story because I say, well, if, if Jesus is the head of the church and if we're just stewards of the church and if we're just caretakers and he's entrusted this incredible thing called the church to us as his people, what does God want for Jesus' church? What does God want this year? And, and this, that's what this series, Less is More, is all about, is what does God want for his church? And specifically, what does God want for his church at Grace 242? And that's what this series, Less is More, is getting at. So last week, we watched this first episode of this sort of satire video called Church Hunters. And for those of you that weren't here last week that didn't get a chance to see it, this is a comedian, and his name is John Christ. And he did this spoof on house hunters on HGTV, only he did it as church hunters. And it's this couple that's looking for a church, just like you have the buyers looking for houses on house hunters. And so we watched the first episode last week, and we're going to watch episode two this week, which I'm really excited about. But this week, I want to ask you to do something as you go into this video. I want you to kind of keep in your mind a running tally of what are some of the things that Nick and Molly, this couple who's looking for a church, what are some of the things that they say that reveals an attitude of selfishness, all right? What are some of the things that they say that show that they have a me-first attitude? And that's the first column. And then maybe the other column would be, what are some of the God-honoring, glorifying things that they say, all right? What what are some of the me-first things they say? And what are some of the God-glorifying things they say, all right? So let's watch the second episode. Go ahead, Ben. Previously on Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. The Sunday morning experience was just... A little too traditional. Hey guys, how we doing? Hey, good. Doing how are good, you? doing good. So I know you didn't love the traditional vibe of the last place, okay? Yeah. okay. But I think this church is really going to do it for you. Yeah. It takes relevance to a whole new level. Behind me, you will see molded clay, jar art, tapestry, canvas, mosaic wow. church. Mm, I love beautiful. it. Right? So you've heard of interdenominational, mm-hmm. right. and you've heard of non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Well, this church identifies as interdenominational. Wow, that's, that's perfect for us. It. it really is. But here's the kicker. A lot of celebrities go here. Yeah. What? Jeff Foxworthy. Oh, we love him. Yep. We really do. Ben Higgins from ABC's The Bachelor. Perfect. Several Real Housewives. Ooh, and know. Usher even came here one time. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, wow. well, follow me. Come on. Let's do it. So refreshing. Honestly, that last church was just way too traditional. It was yeah. too much. It was like we left there feeling convicted. Like, oh. ugh. Right? Right. We're just, we're looking for more of a Tony Robbins type stuff. Like inspiration, like a TED Talk with a Bible verse. Yes. Oh, yes. Right? 
It's perfect here. We love it. It really is. We love it. Awesome. Cool. Well, you guys know a lot of contemporary pastors speak out of the Message Translation Bible, Mm -hmm. right? Or this pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. Shut up. We love Tumblr, though. This is great. A lot of emojis, a lot of abbreviations. Oh, I couldn't ask for one. And how many seats in here? Oh, it is 6,000 altogether. Babe, 6,000. I got to be in this worship band. Imagine me up on that Jumbotron mid guitar solo. Do you know how many Instagram likes you get? Oh my gosh. We find it hard to find a church right now because I grew up Catholic. I grew up Baptist. So, so like, we, we drink. Yeah, but just in private. I mean, obviously, you get it. Basically, in terms of like worship, I think we're looking for like a Jesus culture type feel. Oh, I right. love them. Hillsong, obviously. Oh, obviously, Lady to the Cross? Hillsong's great. Like a Bethel minus the spontaneous yeah. stuff. Yeah. Just for me, I connect in worship more when the leader is attractive. Personally, I'm a Carrie Job guy. Oh, okay. Well, she's married. So. Um, so is Christian Stanfield. Wow. <laughs> so one of my personal favorite things about this church is the service times. Okay. There's an 8.30, a 10, a 1 o'clock, a 5.30, and even a 7 o'clock service. Oh, there's nothing around like 2-ish? Yeah, for us, for what we need, 2, 2.15 is best. Yeah. Uh, how many songs do they do during worship? Usually five, five and a half, depending on where the spirit leads. Oh, wow, babe, is that is that a lot? lot? Well, if that's too that much for you, like... they have a program here called the Worship Assist Program. Okay. So if you ever get tired during worship, an intern will come out and just hold your arms up. You just keep worshiping the King of Glory. Just like that. Wow. I love it. Um, you can still look super spiritual. And my arms get so tired from yoga. Oh, same. I actually like this church. I think we can make it work. It was all right. I mean, it was it was good. But pers- like, I emailed the pastor, and he didn't immediately respond. So uh, we're taking these vessels elsewhere. <laughs> okay. So uh, maybe I'll just ask you, like, what were you know? You don't have to have the exact wording, but like, what were some of the things that you heard that were sort of a me first or my choice type things you heard? To, uh, service times. Yeah. What else? Instagram likes, yeah, it's not all thing, yeah, yeah. What else? Attractive. Attractive worship leaders, Tumblr Bible, yeah, yeah, right? So what were some of the things you heard that were God-honoring or, or God-glorifying? Yeah, right, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> there's nothing, <laughs> nothing, right? And what makes this video so funny, I mean, thankfully it's satire and it's untrue, but what makes it funny is that there is an element of truth there, and that's that it's getting at this sort of an it's-all-about-me attitude that many Americans bring into church. We kind of attacked this last week, and we're going toe-to-toe with it again because it's so pervasive, and it's just flat-out wrong, all right? The it's-all-about-me attitude when it comes to church is just flat-out wrong. And today, again, we're going to take this on toe-to-toe with Christ, all right? So what I want to do is I want to begin our assault on this it's all about me attitude by grounding our scripture today in sort of the greater narrative, all right? So I think we'll have a more robust understanding of Peter's sermon that he preaches today if we kind of ground it in the greater biblical narrative. So the Bible begins, and God creates the heavens and the earth, and and he creates this garden of Eden on the earth, and he places these two humans in this garden, the first two humans. And they have a special job that he's given them, all right? He's made them in his image, which means that they are to image who God is to the rest of creation, all right? As an image of God, they are supposed to reflect God to the rest of creation. They are God's rain spreaders, all right? They are his caretakers of his creation that he's given them and trusted them to, all right? So they are rain 
screen spreaders, images, reflectors of who God is to the rest of creation. Well, that doesn't work out. Because two chapters later, they sin, which fractures that relationship with God, brings corruption into the good creation, brings separation between humanity and God, and they failed at their role as image bearers. All right, They were supposed to be God's reflections, and now they've just dropped the ball because they've sinned. And thankfully, God's not willing to let his creation sit and rot under the curse of sin. Sin, And so he elects this man named Abraham. And he says, all right, I'm passing the torch to you. Now it's your job to do what I gave the job to Adam and Eve Eve to do. It's your job to be my rain spreader, to be my reflection, to be my image. And he multiplies Abraham into this nation called Israel. And he says to Israel, you're my special people. You're my kingdom representatives. You're my royal priesthood. You're my images, my reflectors, my rain spreaders. It's your job to spread my name to the nations of the world. And we all know how that goes. Israel fails at this job because they get lured into idol worship and things get so bad and deteriorate so much and Israel leaves their their God so much that God sort of allows the nation of Israel to be captured by this evil nation of Babylon and and the Israelites are exiled into this nation of Babylon and then several years later they're allowed to return to their homeland if they want but it's a very dark ending to sort of this cool chapter that God has been setting up with his special people Israel but once again Israel fails just like Abraham failed and just like Adam and Eve failed and now God goes silent for a long time and we wonder what is God up to here. The Old Testament ends and God is silent and we're like, hey, what's happening? And meanwhile, God is rolling up his sleeves and he's saying, well, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And so he takes his son and he sends his son Jesus into the world on Christmas as a baby born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. All right? And Jesus grows up and, and he, is, he is God and human at the same time. All right. We're told that he is the exact representation of the Father in Hebrews, all right? And we're told that he is the perfect image of the invisible God, as Melinda said in Colossians, all right? So he is God and human at the same time. And he's sort of a show and tell, a living, breathing show and tell, because he shows us who God is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, And then he also is a teller because he begins preaching and teaching about his father's kingdom and the mission that he has from his father. All right. And so he says, show and tell. And he goes around and and he, and he's, he's the Messiah. He opens up the scroll and he says, oh yeah, this Old Testament that you're reading. It wasn't called the Old Testament then, but this Old Testament that you're reading, that is talking about me. (laughs) I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. And he verifies those messianic claims by doing miracles and healing and, and doing all these incredible wonders and signs. And, and so this guy's gaining some traction. I mean, he has some followers. And he has some followers because some people are curious. He has some followers because some people actually believe. He has some followers because some people like have a need and want to be healed. He has some followers because some people are really mad. And they want to get rid of this guy. And they're sick of hearing what he's saying, all right? And he has some followers because he specifically called them. And so he calls these 12 disciples to himself and he says, you're going to learn me. We're going to live three years together and you're going to learn me because we're going to do life together. And he calls these disciples to himself and his disciples are thinking, hey, this is a pretty sweet gig. We're set up pretty well here because we are, we're like, we're like buddy, buddy with the king. We're buddy, buddy with the Messiah. And now they begin to argue about, hey, when, when he comes into his kingdom, when this guy's exalted to his throne, like who's gonna reign, who's gonna be on his right and his left? Like who are gonna be his, his, his guys, right? Like we're like, we're his entourage. This is pretty sweet. And Jesus is like, no, that's not the kind of kingdom I'm setting up, you guys. And they don't really get it. And then the kind of kingdom Jesus is setting up is fulfilled when he goes to the cross and he dies. 
and all these disciples that just spent three years with him, these followers who dedicated their lives to Jesus are going, what in the world is going on? We were this guy's entourage and now he's dead. This guy claimed to be the Messiah and now he's dead. He claimed to be the king and now he's dead. I don't know what's going on. And so they're in terror for three days and then Jesus rises from the dead like he said he would. And then after rising from the dead, he appears to his disciples and he's in his resurrected body and it's amazing and he's glowing and there's all these cool things and all the disciples just can't believe that it's really him. He's really come back to life. And then 40 days later, he's about to go back up to his father in heaven because he's done with his earthly ministry. And before he goes back up into heaven, he tells his followers this. He says, go into all the world in the same way that you've learned me. You're going to disciple others to learn me as well. That's your mission is you've learned me for three years and now I'm giving you the mission to teach others to learn me. All right, and that's the Great Commission. And then he says, all right, I'm going to leave you. So go into the city of Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there because I'm going to send you a gift. I'm, not, I'm, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you, but we're not, God's not leaving you. So go wait in the city, and I'm going to give you a gift. And so these disciples watch Jesus ascend up into heaven, and they go into Jerusalem like Jesus told them to, and they're all waiting there in Jerusalem. And they're kind of like, okay, Jesus is gone. Now he told us to wait, so we're waiting, okay? What's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, there's this rushing wind in this room that they're all together, and it's this loud supernatural thing, and they're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And things get even more weird because these tongues of fire appear above their heads, and, and, then, and then it's all like they've got a little campfire on top of their head, and, and now they're starting to speak in different languages, and so it's this supernatural, really strange, weird scene because now God is sending his Holy Spirit. Jesus is sending his Holy Spirit and he's equipping them to do that job of discipling others for Jesus. And that's why they have all these different languages that they can speak so they can reach every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And and now the people are watching this scene and there's people that are like, these guys are a bunch of drunks. What's going on here? It's only 9am in the morning. These guys are a bunch of drunks. And Peter gets up and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter is about to preach the best spontaneous Holy Spirit-filled sermon ever. Usually spontaneous sermons, the main message of them are, I'm not prepared. <laughs> okay? But Peter's spontaneous sermon is Holy Spirit-inspired. And he gets up and he says, no, no, no. We're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. We can't be drunk yet. And some people are going, well, that's debatable. Right? But he says, no, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. This is a work of God. And this section of scripture that we're reading comes from that very Holy Holy Spirit-inspired sermon that Peter is preaching to the crowd. So what I want to do is I just want to look at this uh, part of the sermon, and I just want to ask, what does this mean for the church? What does this sermon that Peter is preaching mean for the church? And when we look at this section of his sermon, I think the first thing that this means for the church is that the church is a Jesus-shaped movement. Look at who the primary subject of this part of the sermon is. Look at what he says. He says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you well know. But God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. And then he he really gives it to him. He says, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. And he says, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. He says, this 
is the story that we've been a part of, that this man, Jesus, came, sent by God to do the job of being an image and being a kingdom reign spreader that we failed at. He sent his very own son, and his son went into the grave, and he came out of the grave again, and he went back up into heaven just like he said he would. This, the reason why we're gathered here is because of Jesus, because we followed this guy for three years, and he made a lot of claims, and guess what? He made good on those claims, and, and that's why we're here, and now we've been given this mission to go teach others about him and go make disciples of him, all right, that's why we're here, is we are here for this one guy, and his name is Jesus. That's what it's, this is all about. The church is a Jesus-shaped movement. You know, we have, we have core values here at Grace, and we have three, and I love them, all right? We are biblical, we are missional, and we are relational. Love our core values. Eco, our denomination, a covenant, okay, pardon me, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians, I roll, long name, Presbyterian, but I love Eco, all right? But we are part of Eco, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians, and they have core values too, but we have, we have nine of them. <laughs> Can you tell we're Presbyterian? And the, the thing is, we, I do love all of them. If you, if you had to tell me, like, you got to get rid of some, I don't know what I would get rid of. But you know what the first core value of equal, eco is? Jesus-shaped identity. That's one of the reasons why I love eco. We are a Jesus movement. That's what we are. We're not a social club. We tried that in Christendom, and that failed. We're not some sort of a show we're not some sort of an entertainment complex, all right? If you come here for entertainment, then I don't know why you're here. <laughs> I really don't know why you're here, all right? We are not some sort of a self-help organization, or we're not some sort of coalition for social justice. We are, we are a Jesus-shaped movement. That's who we are, and that's what this story tells us. This story tells us that the church is a Jesus-shaped movement, and this story also tells us that the church's head is Christ, Why is Christ the head of the church? Well, Melinda said it and and Abby read it. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. All right, you can't put it more succinctly than that. He's our head. All right, but he is the head because God endorsed him. Let's look at Acts 2.22. What does Peter say? Peter says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene, all right? So this is God's guy. He's got God's stamp of approval on him, all right? This is God's man. This is God's boy. So he is endorsing Jesus, and he's endorsing Jesus and proving that endorsement by doing all these signs and miracles and wonders through him, chief among those signs and miracles and wonders, his raising from the dead. God is endorsing Jesus by doing all these signs and wonders through him, chief among those wonders. That guy came out of the grave, (laughs) Why is Jesus the head of the church? Because God endorsed him. God proved that endorsement by doing tons of miracles through him and chief among them. Jesus walked out of the grave. I like to say this. I'm going really fast today. I'm sorry, but I'm really excited. And I felt really tired when I got up here and now I'm like, yeah. So thanks for coming along on the ride. I like to say, nobody comes out of death alive. Can we agree on that? Nobody comes out of death alive. Except for one man, Jesus. Only one person came out of death alive. And that was Jesus. And you know what? When you come out of death alive, you're in charge. Because <laughs> right? only one person has been able to do that, and that's Jesus. And he said he was going to do it, and he did it. And he came out of death alive. Look at this. Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witness of this. Peter's like, people, we saw this. This guy died on a cross. You killed him. <laughs> and he walked out of that grave. That means he's in charge. <laughs> when you come out of death alive, you're in charge. Because <laughs> you're the only one that can do that. Why is Jesus the head of the church? God endorsed him through the miracles. Chief among them, he rises from the dead. And he's the head of the church because God exalted him. 
Right, let's look at what Peter says in verse 33. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit, that gift that we all were waiting for here today, and that he poured out on us today, just as you see. All right. Where's Brian? How tall are you, Brian? 6'4". All right, 6'4". So I think he's the tallest guy in here, or at least he's, he's he, we'll just go with him anyway, all right? But Brian's 6'4", all right? Now, I, I, I had heard and seen pictures that shortly before I came, uh, Grace had this roller skating night, all right? And they had this name Limbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you like that. So I think, I'm going to get back to Brian in a minute, but I think that um, God loves Limbo. And here's why. Because we learned in Christmas that we have an upside-down God who doesn't do things the way that we would do them. And his rule is this. He has this upside-down rule. And the rule goes like this. The rule is, the lower you go, the higher you go. Okay? That's his rule. The lower you go, the higher you go. Now, let's imagine, I'm told that Brian was sick this night, but let's imagine that Brian did the limbo with all the, with all the kids and Tony on, um, at the roller skating night. Okay? So, let's say he won. And he beat all those quick kids. All right? That is impressive. Why is that so impressive? Why is it impressive? Like, if Bryn won the limbo, we'd be happy for him. We'd be like, yay, good job, Bryn, all right? But, like, it'd be like, okay, whatever. Because Bryn, you know, Bryn is, like, has to lower herself, like, four feet. All right? All right? Uh, Brian has to lower himself six feet four inches to get under that bar. Right? That's what makes it so impressive is he has a way bigger gap to close in lowering himself than what Bryn has to close when she lowers herself for the limbo, right? Nobody lowers themselves more. And nobody has a bigger gap to close in lowering themselves than Jesus. He lowers himself to come to this earth. I mean, think of this. He was in heaven. <gasps> and he lowers himself to come to this earth. And he comes to this earth, not with fanfare, but in a little cattle feeding trough in a stable with animals. And he lowers himself to being basically homeless, having to, you know, uh, uh, basically find people of peace who would let him in his home. He lowers himself to walking around the countryside, preaching and teaching, hanging out with his disciples. He lowers himself to betrayal. He lowers himself to torture. He lowers himself to whipping. He lowers himself to be spit on and mocked and have a crown of thorns put on his head. And in case that wasn't enough, he lowers himself all the way into death and not just natural death, but death on a cross in the worst way possible that was offered at that day. Nobody lowers themselves more than Jesus. And the lower you go, the higher you go. And because he lowered himself more than anybody else, he is exalted more than anyone else. This is why he's the head of the church. This is why he's the king. What does this sermon tell us about the church? The church is a Jesus-shaped movement. We're here because of Jesus. We exist because of Jesus, and we have a mission from Jesus. We're nothing else. It's Jesus. That's why we're here. And Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head because God endorsed him. He's the head because he came walking out of a grave. And he's the head because he ascended higher than anyone has ever ascended. All right. And all this ought to tell us then that the church isn't about us. This is not something that's happening right here or that happens on Wednesday night or that happens on Saturday morning or that happens on Friday night. That's not because of us. It's because of this man, Jesus, our God, Jesus. You know, I noticed something when I was preparing this message, all right? We're going to do something, all right? So 
If you have a Bible, you're in good shape. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to open one or open up your Bible app. Let me put our reference on the screen. So I got a reference on the screen. Then uh, uh, could you go to the what is humanity? Yeah, thank you. So the reference on the screen, um, that's our scripture reference today. That's the section of scripture we're looking at. And if you're, if you're a visitor today, no pressure. Just relax and enjoy. All right, but I want you to look at our section of scripture. And I'm just going to keep talking to fill the space while you do this. I want you to look at our section of scripture. And I want to ask you, what is humanity's role in this scripture passage. So go ahead and begin doing that. I'm just going to keep talking. So humanity has a passive role in this passage, and that role is receiving the Holy Spirit. So they have a passive role of receiving the Holy Spirit, but they also have an active role. And what is the active role in this passage? So here we go, and we got Peter talking about Jesus and saying God endorsed Jesus, and Jesus is the head of the church, and he's the head because of all because God endorsed him because he came out of the grave and because he ascended higher than anyone. He's glorified more than anybody because he lowered himself more than anybody. All right? And then meanwhile, humanity has one role. What is that role? Anyone know? They're nailing him to the cross. That's our role. Meanwhile, while Jesus is who it's all about, what are we doing? We're nailing him to the cross. Isn't that wild that that's humanity's role in this passage? Their active role? And I think about this, and I think, you know, that's the way a lot of us do church today is that we nail him to the cross so we can get him out of the way and now we make it about us nail him to the cross so he's out of the way and now this can be something about me now i can come in here and i can feed myself or i can feel good about myself or i can check a box to be religious or whatever it is so i, I this sermon series is called less is more and i, I told you last week that there's going to be a great exchange that needs to be made every week And this week's great exchange is less me and more he, Jesus. It's not about me. I nailed Jesus to the cross because of my sin. It's about he who willingly submits to that nailing to die for my sin, rise for my sin, be ascended to the throne in heaven and reign in his exalted position as our king and our head. That's who this is about. And so maybe I'll just leave you with this is, you know, when you participate here, or when you come into here, do you come here because you like to hear what the pastor has to say, or you want a good message, or you want something that's going to apply to your life? Or do you come in here like because your, your eyes are just starry with our Savior, Lord, and King? Or do you come in here because you, you, know, you think it's kind of cool that we meet in a nature center, or whatever, or, you know... You come in here because you like our coffee that we have, or do you come in here because this is a chance to marvel in awe at the one who lowered himself to death on a cross and then ascended to the right hand of God the Father? Do you come in here because you're excited to sing or you like that we do contemporary worship or are you groaning the whole time that we're not singing some sort of other type of music or... Or do you come in here because we are a movement based on the one who came out of death alive and who bound himself to our nature as humans? It's less me, more he. Less me, more he. The one who came, the one who is incarnate, 
the one who died and was crucified, the one who rose, the one who ascended to his throne, and the one who's coming back again someday. That's who this is about. We have a chance to respond to our Savior, Lord, and King, to our head, Jesus Christ, and practice this less me, more he, all right, with our offering that's about to happen. And I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to worship along this song, Greater, because God is greater than us. He has lowered himself more than us. He's ascended higher than anyone. He's our head. It's not about us. It's about him. Let's make much of him after I pray and do our offerings. Let's make